Father, what a gift to be able to walk into your presence and know that you're here. We're thankful for your grace and your love and the victory we have in Christ, that you saw us in all of our depraved state and loved us enough not to leave us there, but rescued us and gave your life so that we could have life and have it for all eternity. We're delighted that we can come and sing and join with thousands around this globe from so many different tribes and languages and tongues that have given you praise. I pray that you receive that today. There's a lot all over the East Coast that are really struggling, and some of them don't have places to worship this morning because of what's happening in this rain and flood. And, and so today I trust they find your love and your grace in the middle of the storm as we sang a moment ago. Thank you for those that have been protected. I pray, oh God, that as we unpack your word this morning, that we will hear from you and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have spoken to us through your word. We love what you give to us and that we can give back to you. Use it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dave, thank you. Ron, that was amazing. Good morning. Glad to have you today. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything. Dave said to you a moment ago that Josh Wilson's going to be here the first weekend in December for an acoustic Christmas concert. If you've not listened to him, obviously he's on the radio all the time, but a really powerful word and a great opportunity just to sing and celebrate. Outside of the fall, it's my favorite time of year. So I'd uh, love to have you here for that. Today's the last day that you can register to vote. So there's uh, Diane and Fran are out there at that table. Please get all the information that you possibly can so that you can vote with knowledge and an awareness of the issues, not just the president, but well beyond that. I'm, to be honest with you, more concerned with that than anything at this particular point. So read that information carefully and then go into it prayerfully. And uh, we'll give you every other piece of information we can, some more that you'll see over the next few weeks, so keep going to that table and getting more. We're in the middle of Ephesians. There's a verse in your sermon notes this morning at the header from Timothy where Paul said, I just need you to know that God's Word is all His Word. Every so often in the context of a sermon, a pastor like me will say, Paul says or Matthew says or Luke says, I need to remind you that it's the Word of God. So that regardless of when I say Paul said or Luke said or Matthew said, God said. I every once in a while will say this is what Paul meant, this is what he's writing. But the Word of God is God-breathed. We're going to talk about some really heavy, tough issues this morning in the context of the message. And I do want you to know that this comes directly from the Word of God. And when I read it, I want you to see it through that grid. I may interpret it different than maybe you have heard, and I do my best to be pure to the Word of God. But I do want you to know it is God-breathed and useful for all of those things. What I love about Paul, especially in Ephesians, he's really talking about all of those things in the context of one book, which is why I have so loved our study in the book of Ephesians. Last Sunday morning, we started chapter 4, went all the way to chapter 5, verse 17, and pick up here today trying to help you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. The Word of God says to us at the beginning, God rescued you and redeemed you. He saw you as we saw that dead plant here in this stand a number of months ago. Absolutely no hope on this planet that you would ever make it. Not just survive, you wouldn't make it at all. But God loved you and I so much that He sent His one and only Son and He rescued us. Not just simply tore away some of the edges that we saw on this other plant over here. But He strengthens us and waters us and takes care of us. And wants us to be everything we're designed to be. A masterpiece. A living, breathing masterpiece used by the power of God to change the world. 
And so when we talk about our potential or the potential of a church, it is really astounding that you and I have been rescued by God who loves us so much and then decides to use us to change the world. To make a difference in the lives of people, an eternal difference in the lives of people. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus, he said, here he comes, the light of the world. And then almost immediately in his first sermon, he turned the table and looked at us and said, you are the light of the world. You and I are this world's hope. And so when we share with them the truth of what we have found, their lives can be changed forever. I see Ev sitting here who runs our Thursday night ministry, and five kids came to faith in Christ on Thursday night. And that moment, their lives began to change. And every week, Sunday after Sunday, and Wednesday or Thursday after Thursday, and throughout the week in all of our many Bible studies, and many Bible studies, people are coming to faith in Christ because they realize the hope we have in Him. And what I love about the fact that is He chooses to use us. Us. With all of our frailties and all of our flaws, He chooses to use us. Now, last Sunday morning, I quoted a couple of people, and I'm sure you've heard the quote before. That neither of us or any of us, have, we've never seen Jesus, we never met Paul. Any of you ever meet Paul? I know you all say he carried the King James, but he didn't. I, if you've never met Paul and you've never met Jesus, how do you know what a Christian looks like? Well, he continues to say over and over again, watch other Christians. You'll see how this, li this life is to be fleshed out by watching their life. And so the absolute conclusion from that is, you want to know what Christianity looks like? Watch followers of Christ. So you and I, because they won't see Paul and they never met Jesus, they will see him through the word of God, have the opportunity to display to them what Jesus is like. What a Christian looks like. And, and hopefully you have somebody in your life when you first came to faith in Christ and you tried to figure out what it's all about. And then you saw them living it out and you said, oh man, that's it. I want to live like that. I, I want to look like him. I want to look like her. The older I get, the more I, I look like my dad. Now, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, we think it's a good thing, but he's, you know, that, that his hair got white early, and my hair started to gray, and, and his started to lose some of him. And the lady that does my hair says, I'm a beautician, not a magician. And so all those things that begin to happen. But when I look at, when I look at him and I look at myself, I, I can see that the older I get, the, there's a lot of traits and a lot of things that I see in him that I see in myself. And when I read the Word of God, I say, that's awesome because you and I have the privilege of being able to look like our Heavenly Father to people who are trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. Now, there's the flip side to that. Not only is Christianity the best way to try to figure out what Christian life looks like, Christians sometimes are also the ones that repel people and cause them to run away from the truth that you and I have found in Christ because of the lifestyle they've lived. How many times have you heard the phrase, not going there, they're nothing but hypocrites? Oh, they sing on Sunday. They say a lot of things on Sunday. They, but man, I, I, saw, I, met, I saw them last night. They were wasted. They're not even aware of what's going on on Sunday morning. I know what they do. Do you realize I work with them, right? So the language that comes out of their mouth and the coarse jokes they share and the things they say about so-and-so doesn't seem to match what you say you're saying on Sunday morning. I, mean, I could give you a hundred different examples of that, but you know as well as I do, they're not here this morning. They weren't even in the first service. But there are people that you know in other churches like 
hours that are not necessarily the best description of what a follower of Christ looks like, right? Any of you know them? They're not here. But they are in other churches. And so if you and I have the opportunity to show people what Christ looks like and the lifestyle that he lives, we want to do it with the best awareness of what that means. And so in case we wonder about what it means to be a follower of Christ and some of the things we get rid of, now that we're followers of Christ, Paul says, look, I'm going to give you a list, not an exhaustive list, but a pretty good list so that when you look at it, you can say, oh, okay, that's what one looks like. Let me show you this on the screen. Is that a real apple or not? Sure looks like it, doesn't it? It's not. But man, does it look like one. Now, if you took a bite out of it, you'd figure that out. In our children's department, we have this large market over there. And every once in a while, one of our little cherubs decides to take a piece of the fruit out of there and take a bite out of it. And then, of course, they do what every other child does. They put it back. And they realize at that moment, no matter how well it looked, it's not real. Every once in a while, you look at Christians and you say, well, they look, not, they look like the real thing. But then all of a sudden you get kind of underneath the layer and you realize that it's not the same. Let me ask you another question. Which one's the real egg? Which one's the real one? <laughs> well, you're hoping I was right on that, right? <laughs> all right, look the same and from a distance you probably couldn't tell. But one is pretty empty, and the other, we're going to cook this morning. I'm Julia Child. You take the egg, and you break it, and you open it up, and there's an egg inside. Okay, I didn't think of that part. <laughs> and you already did laundry yesterday. Sorry about that. Let's be really honest. There are some Christians that look like that. On the outside, they look great, but man, are they shallow and hollow. And you really won't know until all of a sudden something goes on in their life, and maybe they get a little crack here and there, but the genuine real stuff comes out, and you see what's inside, and you know it's true. I know none of you are as old as I am, but in the old days when, when we grew up on a farm, and especially for a chicken farmer, there was a thing called candling. Any of you remember that? Oh, a few of you do. You're that old? That is not true. And you know what they would do to find out what was inside? They'd hold a light up to it to see what was on the other side. Well, pretty much that's what Paul's going to do in this section of Scripture. He's going to kind of hold a light up. As a matter of fact, he's going to finish saying that thing to let us see what really is on the inside. We're picking up in chapter 4, verse 25 is where I'm going to start this morning. ton of material, ton of stuff. A lot that we picked up last week. If you did not listen to it, it is online right after we're done, about an hour or two after we're done. Look, every single one of you, all of you, Paul said, you got to get rid of some stuff. Put off falsehood. Speak the truth. In your anger, don't sin. Don't ever let the sun get down upon your wrath. And don't ever give the enemy a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing, quit it. Now, you're probably saying, all right, stealing? Seriously, it's not like I went to the bank and said, here's a bag, would you fill it up with money? None of us do that. None of us would ever do that. So we're going to some of these, I don't do that one. 
But if you're working and you're not giving your employer an honest day's work, you kind of robbed them. Now, we've all noticed enough where people go to work, well, uh, you know, they've got so many pencils, I'm going to take some home. They don't need all of these. And so we'll take them home. We all know those little things that we do every once in a while. But sometimes there's these large things that are pretty blatant. Both are stealing, but when we're not giving them a, a full day, honest day's effort, for what it is they expect from us, we're kind of robbing them of what really we ought to be. So the Word of God says, quit doing that. Quit stealing. Work. Do something useful with your hands so that you have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome, not a little, but don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful to build up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't greed the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Your sermon notes are in your bulletin this morning. I want you to take them out. And Paul's going to tell us over and over again, look, I need you to know you've got to take responsibility. Now that you're a follower of Christ, now that you're a new creation of Jesus, there are some lifestyle changes that you need to take and some lifestyle changes you need to make. Matter of fact, the things you're living out, you didn't learn Christ that way. That's what he means by that. You didn't learn that. There's your brand new believers. He's trying to help them understand how to live this life out. He's already had a lot of conversations with them. And then he finds out, same with the Corinthians church, they've got a lot of junk. They've not gotten rid of yet. And Paul said, look, you didn't learn Christ this way. So in your notes, take responsibility. Change your thinking. Change your habits Quit doing some of the things that you used to do before you were a follower of Christ. You used to do that before you embraced Jesus as your Savior. Now that you have, you've got to get rid of some of those things. You've got to change your lifestyle. You've got to change your habits. Quit shading the truth. Quit deceiving. Quit cheating. Quit betraying a confidence. Quit exaggerating. Quit embellishing. Quit gossiping. It's fascinating when I've watched churches all of these years that some will look at the big sins and, and they'll point those out. They, you know, you ought not to do that. If you're going to do that, you're not a follower of Christ. And they'll list a lot of them. And some will be with neon signs and others won't be quite as obvious. But they'll pick them out and they'll talk about that. And what's fascinating is most of them who pick out the large sins kind of leave gossiping out of the picture because they know they probably have done a little bit of that so they want to ignore it. Ever been around anybody who just has to always, did you hear? Did I tell you about? Did I mention? And what, I, what fascinates me in all these years of ministry, they do it within the context, I just want you to be able to pray for them. So it's kind of why I'm telling you that, so you know how to pray. And what intrigues me, and I've always wondered, do they ever even pray for them? But they love to share the information. He said, look, Quit tearing people down. Build them up. 
Quit looking for the big sins, the ones that you know everybody's facing and the media's all over about, and then you ignore the little ones like hurting people with your words and the things that you pass on. Quit doing that. In your anger, don't sin. Quit allowing it to remain. He uses that example, which we left off last Sunday morning, by saying, don't give the enemy a foothold or a stronghold or allow him to remain there. Anger is one of those things, but let me back up enough. If you look all up Scripture, you'll find out that any unresolved issue, anger, bitterness, rage, hatred, deception, whatever it may be, you leave it unresolved. Even as a follower of Christ, you leave it unresolved. You've given the enemy access into your spiritual life. And essentially, you've said, it's okay. You'd never say that out loud, but by not dealing with the issue, you've given him access. You've allowed him to come into your life and hang on to that bitterness and rage and anger and, and lie, whatever that may be. And he is going to use that against you every time you think you're moving forward in your spiritual life. He's going to use that against you and eventually do everything he can to destroy you and get you back to what you once were. Any unresolved issue, whatever it may be, Spirit of God will point it out to you. Most of you already know what it is. Left unresolved will not only haunt you, it can destroy you. And it will eat away at your soul. So when you look at sections like this, well, I don't have anger. I'm okay then. No, way bigger than that. You have to know that. And when you leave those areas unresolved, you're leaving the enemy access into your life. Ephesians 4.15 is the key, one of the key verses, one of my favorite verses in life. 3.15, Colossians, let the peace of Christ make the call is one of my favorite verses. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. And 4.15, speaking the truth with love. Everything that I'm saying this morning, if I don't do all of this in what I'm about to say in this context with love, please let me know. You have to know how much I love you to tell you the truth in the context of what we're about to share. That is the key verse. Deal with issues, do it appropriately, don't tear down, build up. Some people to live this verse out are going to have to change their whole level of communication because they complain about everything. Speak the truth, but with love. Instead of being a taker, verse 28, be a giver. Instead of looking for what you can get out of life, what can I give? How can I help? How can I encourage? Verse 32, be kind and compassionate. Be forgivers instead of grudge holders. Years ago, I began to look at my family background and some of the dynamics of what I've seen as I've watched people through the years in different cultures and, and different people and then had the opportunity, and as only God would give, that I could go to, to uh, Yugoslavia, which is where my family is from, my grandparents came from. And I began to hear some of the battles that had gone on between the Serbs and the Croatians through the years. And I'm Croatian, and I began to look at some family dynamics and and, and, and as I began to hear all of that, I, I found out that some of these people were holding grudges for hundreds and hundreds of years and destroying one another over something that started 100 years ago that they don't even remember. One of my favorite Andy Griffiths, that dated me too, I know, is when they kind of the Hatfield and McCoy and Andy gets in the middle of it and tries to figure out why these two people are shooting at one another. And they get the two old patriarchs together and ask the questions, why are you shooting at him? Well, because he's a McCoy. Well, why are you shooting at him? Because he's a Hatfield. Well, why are you shooting at the Hatfields? Because they're McCoys. And the list was endless. It's come to the point that nobody ever knew where it started. 
they've held on to it for years. We guys have a hard time living out some of the verses in the Scripture. Ephesians, when it says, love your wives like Christ of the church. Every wedding I do say, guys, I need you to know, man, that bar got raised pretty high. I know you love her, but he said, love her like Christ loved the church. And that means you're to give your all in that relationship. And you are the one who serves until death do you part. I want to say this tenderly and kindly as I know how, but one of the hard verses in Scripture for gals to live out is love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. We've got our own. We all do. Paul said, look, you realize how much you've been forgiven? And quit holding on to stuff. Verse 5, chapter 1, be an imitator of God. The longer you're in this journey with God, the more you want to look like him. So when people around you say, well, I don't know what Jesus looks like. I don't know Paul. You can honestly say to them, watch me. And I love Paul's courage when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which in a sense he's setting himself up as the one who said, look, I'll show you how to live this life. Watch me and I'll live it out. Because I'm a child of God, I want to walk like him. I want to, I want to love like him. Jesus, in verse 2, he uses as the model of someone who gave himself. Incredible model of love and compassion and tenderness. People who said, I'm sick and need a healer. I'm sinful and need a forgiver. I'm bound up and need a redeemer. Found everything they could ever want to find in Jesus. And so when people come to us and look at us and look at our church, we want to be the kind of church that says, hey, we'll show you love. We'll show you grace. We'll point out sin. We'll help you through the process. We won't dance around it, but we'll do it with grace and love and tenderness. We'll do our best to be like Jesus. And people with all kinds of needs flooded to him. The righteous and the pious who said, we got our act together. We don't need anything. Never hung around him. But the people that were broken and needy and their lives were falling apart, they flooded to Jesus. They ought to be the ones that are flooding to churches. Not perfect people who have all their acts together, but people who are just in need of grace and love and understanding ought to be the ones that flood. He goes on to say, but I need you to know among you, again, he's talking to us, there shouldn't even be a hint of immorality. The word immorality in your sermon this morning comes with a, a broad number of things under that umbrella. Pornography, promiscuity, fornication, which is a word used all the way through the New Testament, but essentially it's sex before marriage. Adultery we're more familiar with, which is sex with someone else outside a marriage partner. And homosexuality, which is dealt pretty clearly in Romans chapter 1. What's fascinating about the way he lays it out here is he attaches right after that the word greed. And we look at it and say, okay, I get immorality, but why do you attach greed to that? Until I began to do the research, and I, I found out this week that the reason he uses that word is that that word describes the desire to want more. And I went, oh, God, that's brilliant. That's brilliant because that is absolutely what happens when we start down any of these roads i'm about to talk about when we start down those roads that aren't godlike and aren't christ-like and we get into them or we get to dabble in them we will always 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 want more and then it makes sense 
when he decides to put that context in this context of all of these immoral issues to remind us, look, I don't want you to even start down this road. That's why I said there shouldn't even be a hint of any of this because it will lead you to always want more. The sex drive is one of the most powerful drives known to man. Kingdoms and careers and homes and lives and churches have been destroyed because of it. The triggers in the brain that are stimulated as a result of, of viewing pornography are the exact same ones triggered by the use of heroin. So all of those things that will we'll start a little bit, we won't take much, but we want more, and we have to get more, we have to get higher. There's something rewired and re-triggered in the brain that makes me always try the next level and always keep going are the exact same ones that happen when we view pornography, men or women alike. We always associate it with men. They're more likely to have involvement in it, but men and women, it doesn't matter, male or female. It will always rewire your brain. The images in your head or the images that you see are ones that can never be erased, and they will always, always, always lead you to want more. And I'm telling you this, I wish that I had it in your notes. You will find that, your real, that reality will never, ever match up to fantasy. So many guys, so many gals go into it based on the context of fantasy, disillusioned and disappointed because reality didn't live up to what they're seeing or what they saw. And Word of God says, look, i got to be honest with you, man. Don't start down this road because you are going to have a hard time getting back. The Bible said don't commit adultery, which is sex with someone else besides your married partner. Makes sense. Choice, trust, intimacy, honesty. The list is endless. Jesus said, look, guys, I want you to be careful how you even look at another woman. Here in this text again, you know why? Because you'll always want more. You won't be satisfied, which is why he said not even a hint. No flirting, no dinner meetings, no, I wish my wife talked like that. I wish my wife would do the things you do. I wish my husband would, would, would listen like you do. I, I, I and I can take you down a, a dozen roads like that. And once you start, you'll, number one, always want more because you'll find the affirmation you're not getting at home. At home. And you're going down a trail that will destroy your relationship. Not even a hint. Scripture also says don't commit fornication. Now, unless you know what that word means, it's kind of hard for us to figure out. I'll tell you what it means. It means sex before marriage. Statistics show that Young people are sexually active now between 14 and 15. And for those of you in the school world or the academic world or growing up or watching kids grow up, you probably have found out they're even more active earlier than that in some context. And sex texting is rampant. I mean, things you and I would have never even heard of, never even thought about, taking pictures of themselves and sending it to somebody else, and then naive enough to know or think well, in six seconds, it's gone. Are you kidding me? Number one, it blows my mind you do it to begin with. But number two, that you'd be so naive to think that it lasts only for a little bit and no one sees it after that. Do you realize how fast and how far it's already been passed along? And those of you who are raising children and raising teens, God bless you and we pray for you and we need to pray for you on a regular basis because they're getting blissed by this stuff all the time. Now, what I deal with mostly is couples living together before marriage. Now, if you're living together and not having sex, I'd be shocked. That's as honest as I know how, without going into any more details than that. 
If you're living together without having a sexual relationship, which is what he said, don't do, I'd be shocked. He uses the phrase here, not even a hint of immorality. Let me say this with as much love and truth as I can say. If you're sleeping with someone now outside of the marriage covenant, what says you won't do it with someone else after you get married? And you'll say, well, I won't because I'm committed to her. Then marry her. If you're sleeping with someone now outside of the context of the marriage covenant, what says you won't do it after you're married with someone else? And 60 to 70% will in a lifetime. And you say, I won't do that because I'm committed to her. Then as much love as I could possibly say, then marry her. Many will ask us to do the wedding, and I'll ask them a question. Knowing the context, why do you want us to do your wedding? They'll say, well, we want God's blessing. And with as much love as I can possibly say, I say this, then do what God blesses. Fall in love, get married, and in a marriage context, God will come to you and say, I've got a gift for you that will blow your mind. Reserved within the context of marriage. I say to you all the time when I have these couples stand in front of me, I did a beautiful wedding yesterday, and, you know, they're standing there, you know, richer for poorer and sickness and health for better for worse, and I say to them, you don't know what you committed to, do you? <laughs> and, and they believe they do. But it's a wonderful thing to, to walk with these couples in this amazing journey and say to them, God has some incredible things for you but put it within the context of how he's designed it. Don't run beyond that. It will always leave you wanting more, and it'll never fulfill the way God designed it to be. Wholesome, wonderful intimacy within the context of marriage. Now, some will say, it's my body. I can do with it what I want. Can I be as honest as I know how? No, it's not. Not if you're a follower of Christ. You are bought with a price. Your body is no longer yours. Now, before you embrace Christ, yeah, you can do with it what you want. And in many cases, you pay a price for that. But he says, now that you're a follower of Christ, you've been bought with a price. You no longer have the freedom to do what you want with your body. It is not yours, it is his. He bought and paid for that and the opportunity to be able to help you through the process of doing it his way to satisfy and fulfill you in ways that will blow your mind. So you, once you commit your life to Christ, belong to him. Drugs, alcohol, you can't do with your body what you please. They will destroy and kill you. And the sad thing about that is you will always, number one, come up empty, and number two, always want more. Thursday afternoon, I sat downtown with a, a forum of people. It's one of the first times I'd seen anything like it in this community, called by the three county commissioners and every judge that I know of was there, law enforcement, pastors, and all of that, a, a, a drug force. That they're trying to help. Every year for the last three years, the heroin deaths have increased by 10. Now it's up to almost 50, and we're not even through this year yet, just in Butler County. Now, we've been saying just say no since the 70s, right? For those of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s, we've been saying just say no to drugs forever. And obviously, it's not working. The problem is that no matter how, and we'll do everything we can to get information out and resources out and take the stigma away so you can find the help and get the help and give you all the resources possible. But the, 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 the front end of this is that encouragement and love that I can possibly give to you and say, don't start. 
because it's going to lead you down a path of always wanting more and will always leave you empty and eventually will kill you. What we found out the other day is it's not the 18 and under. It's between 18 and 40 is the ones who are dying as a result of this. So we're doing a good job, or they're doing a good job, or the best they know how to try to get kids to understand, but it's that, that middle group of people that are dying. So every week you're opening the paper, 23-year-old died at home, 27-year-old died at home, 32-year-old died at home. I'm not saying they all did, and I want to be careful when I say that so it doesn't mis- get misconstrued. But it kills. It doesn't just give you a buzz or a high, it kills. And so you're going down a road that's going to take your life Don't do it with as much love and tenderness as I can say. Don't do it. Now, we all think that it starts with marijuana. So we start with the low ones. We start with the mediocre ones. Good grief, half of the country is now embracing it and saying it's okay. Not half, but a lot of them are. So we think it starts with that. You know what we have found out where it starts? It starts in a medicine cabinet in your home. That's where most of them have started with things that many of us are just taking for painkillers, and all of a sudden, then that wasn't... Here's a surprise. It wasn't enough. So they needed something stronger. It needed something stronger. It needed something stronger. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not your own. Homosexuality, gender identity, a huge issue. Larger issues in any shift in the moral compass that I've probably seen in my lifetime. You've got the Supreme Court now redefining marriage. You've got our own governor supporting the bathroom issue and all the things that go with that, and it's a moral epidemic and a moral minefield. I always, again, want to remember and remind you that what we want to make sure that we're doing is truth combined with love. I can tell you the ones that are taking truth over here and no love with it and picketing and calling people names and identifying themselves this way, and those on this extreme over here says, it doesn't really matter. Do whatever you want. It's okay. God's going to take us all to heaven anyhow. Neither one of those are the right responses. God's word says, look, this is going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. It's going to eat you up. It's not God's design. It's not the way you were designed. It's not the way you were born. It's not the way you were intended to be. Truth with love. Write this down on on your notes somewhere. Chip Ingram. Uh, We listen listen to him a lot in small group, probably one of my favorite small group curriculum that we listen to. His uh, ministry is called Life on the Edge, Living on the Edge. Last Thursday and Friday, probably the absolute best I've ever heard on the subject of homosexuality on Thursday and Friday, abortion on on Monday, and continuing to deal with those issues. All the lies that we've been told since Simon LaVey skewed everything and twisted everything around to make us believe in the early 90s that this was normal and it was okay, and now we're just living out the new normal and modern family, and it's not. It's such a small segment of society that we're shifting our gears to and shifting our gears with and trying to help them understand who they are in Christ and what they have in Christ. And again, we got the imbalance of truth without love or love without truth, and he does it the best I've ever heard. Butler City Council, as I said a number of months ago, this issue and uh, gender identity and sexual orientation are being added, has already been added to an agreement that they've had since 19 or 2011. On October, they're going to put it to vote, and November, vote on it. And those two issues are going to involve... and and impact possibly churches, certainly businesses, and landlords downtown. Have a note in your bulletin next week, but October 19th at North Main Church of God, Pennsylvania Family Institute, and I love them because they do bring a balance of love and truth, are going to have a meeting with as many people as possible in as large a context as possible to help us understand the implications of all of that. 
Uh, the gal that lost her business in Washington State is going to be there that night sharing. And, and we'll get you the information, but love to have you there. Because if you're a business owner or a landlord downtown, it does have an effect on you and eventually could churches. Verse 4, chapter 5, nor should there be obscenity, uh, any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. They're out of place. Pretty obvious what God is saying here. Essentially, he says this, you can be funny without being raunchy. You can be funny without being raunchy. I still remember we were in Beaverdale in our uh, first church alone as pastor and wife, and Fire Hall Gang was right beside us, and so we tried to minister to them as much as we could, and eventually Connie won them over with pizza and cookies and homemade donuts, and they had a ton of them would come to our house and hang out with them constantly. And I still remember this context now, 35 years later, when they would say, I had no idea you could have this much fun without alcohol. And I had no idea that you could have this much fun without all the trash talk that we do. Paul said, look, you, you can be funny without being raunchy or demeaning or having to put people down so that you feel good about who you are. You can be really sure, verse 5 and 6, no immoral, impure, greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. They've set things up in place of God, and they will not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. The scripture here very clearly reminds us that God takes sin seriously. And he reminds us that judgment is coming. In the last half, I need to move quickly. In the last half of this chapter, he does a fascinating thing. He said, look, let me back up enough to say, if you didn't know any of this, you're a brand new believer and you didn't know any of this or what the behavior looks like, can I be honest enough to now tell you, I've told you. I've turned the light on to what you thought was darkness. Fascinating thing about darkness. You can live in darkness in a pile of garbage sitting right in the middle of the floor and you'll never notice it. Trash, paper, yesterday's pizza, dirty clothes, sounds like some of your high school kids' rooms, doesn't it? Trash, paper, yesterday's pizza, dirty clothes, right in the middle of the floor and you don't see it. You don't have to take responsibility for it. You don't have to clean it up. But when the lights come on and you see the junk, now you can say, I, I don't see anything, nothing here. You can ignore it. You can live with that junk or you can clean it up. But once the light has shined on it, you're responsible for it. What was my superficiality before with that hollow egg and, and, and nothing inside? Somebody candled it and looked through it and saw, oh, that's what's really in there. In the darkness, I thought my relationships were normal. Now when the lights shine, I realize they're not. And the way I'm treating my wife or my husband or my kids needs to be changed. Now, we can ignore it and blame it on society and blame it on the church letting down its standards and blaming it on somebody or somebody else or something else instead of taking responsibility to live out what the Scripture teaches. But I'm telling you, once the light shines, you can't ignore it and you can't stay living in the darkness. He sends a really clear message to us at the very end when he said, look, time is short. You can't keep playing with this. Judgment's coming. Every one of us will stand before Almighty God. Watch how you walk. Life is short. Now that you know what God wants and what pleases Him and how to live the life He's calling us to so others will see that and say, okay, that's what I want. Then you need to do it.
But those who know what sin is and continue to do it, you are in a very, very dangerous place. Those who know what sin is and yet ignore it and continue to do it are in an incredibly dangerous place. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. God, these are heavy issues. And they've been blessed with a lot of information. So in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross and the power of your spirit, would you help all of us here this morning, me included, to look down deep inside. We don't want to be a fake egg with nothing inside or a phony piece of fruit that everybody thinks is okay and it's really nothing. We want to be genuine followers of Christ and we want to live it out. But there are areas in our life that we just got to deal with. We have to do your word justice by quieting our hearts before you now and talking to you about it. Thank you for the honesty of your word and the power that it brings. And thank you for the grace that you have showed me. And all of my stupidity and sin, your grace continues to shine. Thank you for loving me enough to bring me out and to put me on the right track. Next Sunday morning, Joe's going to follow this up with a really, really powerful section of Scripture. Didn't know it when he asked me if he could preach or I asked him to preach for me next week as I'm going. Uh, out of 1 Corinthians, you'll love it. I need you to come back, obviously, for that. 23rd, I'm going to start by saying this. If we're really honest about some of this stuff, it seems impossible. It seems impossible to live out. How on earth? Does God want me to do it? I have the absolute best answer the Scripture could give you on that Sunday. And then the results of that on the 30th, and we're going to have fun. So we've got a lot to look forward to. Hope you're there. If I can pray for you in any way, please give me the chance to do that. We can help you in any way. Let us do that. God bless you. Have an incredible day.